they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April the 21st. This is the end of the second week of Easter. The Lord is risen. He is truly risen. Alleluia. We are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. We pray the Regina Chaley during this time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Queen of heaven, rejoice. Alleluia. For he whom you merited to bear, Alleluia, has risen as he said, Alleluia. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Rejoice and be glad, O Virgin Mary. Alleluia. For the Lord is truly risen. Alleluia. O God, who by the resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, have vouchsafed to make glad the whole world, grant we beseech thee that through the prayers of the Virgin Mary, we may rejoice to share in his resurrection through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaot, plenis uncelli et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. Well, welcome. Welcome to this episode of Bible with the Barbers. <clears throat> and um, we're going to talk today about being born again. Where in the Gospels do we read about being born again? Well, that's interesting. Let's all turn to John 3 and let's read this chapter together. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? Jesus answered, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned because he believes he has not believed excuse me i'm i'm reading this wrong he who believes in him is not condemned he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god and this is the judgment the light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. <clears throat> then after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the land of Judea. There he remained with them and baptized. So here we are. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And remember that the, the leaders of the Jewish people are already getting antagonistic. They're, you know, they, Jesus comes along and they're antagonistic toward him. They don't want to accept his gospel. And so Nicodemus doesn't want to make it known publicly that he's kind of interested in Jesus. He sees these miracles that he's working. He sees signs and wonders. And it's, you know, no one can do this unless God is with him. And we know that. But just, you know, are we willing to accept his message? So Nicodemus wants to understand, you know, what is this all about? And um, he doesn't want to be persecuted, right? So he is walking in spiritual darkness symbolically, and he lacks the enlightenment of true faith yet, Nicodemus. So Jesus tells him that you must be born anew. The Greek expression can either mean again or from above. Now here it's um, translated anew. It could mean again or from above. Now, Nicodemus takes it to mean you have to be born again. Well, how can you be born again? I'm already born. I'm an old man. I can't go back into my mother's womb. How am I going to be born? So what Jesus is trying to show here, though, it, you know, it, it, Nicodemus understands it's like a born again as if you have to be reborn in a physical birth. Okay, there has to be some kind of physical rebirth to enter the kingdom. But this is not what Jesus is trying to get at. Jesus is calling us to a spiritual rebirth, okay? A birth from above. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, five, number 526, it says, to become a child in relation to God is the, king, is the condition for entering the kingdom of God. Remember in Matthew 18, 3 and 4, Jesus says, unless you become like a little child, not childish, but like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So even more, to become children of God, we must be born from above or born of God. John 3, 7. And also in John 1, verses 12 and 13, it talks about this um, being born but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're, we want to become children of God. And how do we do that? Well, 
only when Christ is formed in us will the mystery of Christmas be fulfilled in us. Christmas is the mystery of this marvelous exchange. O marvelous exchange, man's creator has become man, born of the virgin. We have been made sharers in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity through baptism. And this, this here, we're going to talk about this here in John 3. How do we know that Jesus is referring to baptism? Okay, so Nicodemus thinks it has to be a physical birth. Jesus is speaking of a spiritual birth from above, a birth not of this earth, a birth not of flesh, a birth that isn't traced through generational family lines, okay? Born of water and the spirit. In, in um, John 3, 5, he says, he says um, truly, truly, I say, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, <clears throat> the uh, construction, the syntax of this verse in Greek suggests that Jesus is speaking not of two separate births, a separate birth by water and a separate birth by spirit, but a single birth, that somehow being born by water, you are born by spirit. All right? One, so um, you have a single birth, the water and the spirit working together. We, we're, so in Scott Hahn and Curtis's Mitch Ignatius Study Bible, they give some commentary on this. Several observations suggest that the first refers to the sacrament of baptism. One, a close link between water and spirit is forged elsewhere in the writings of John. So in the Gospel of John, verse, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 38 through 39, and what does it say there? It says, he who believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, which those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus in, in, in um, John in his gospel, chapter 7, 38 and 39 talks about Water, living waters flowing from someone. And then John explains that he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So the living water is the Holy Spirit. And then in you have in, in the letter of um, John, chapter 5, it has, there are three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Okay? Uh, it, John's talking about concerning testimony of the Son of God. And he says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit is the witness because the spirit is the truth. There are three witnesses then, the spirit, the water, and the blood. So again, spirit and water are connected in the writing of John. So this connection between water and spirit. And I hear the music. I want to thank you all for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Please share with everyone at the Bible with the Barbers. Share with your friends and your family this app. Give them a link so that you don't have to listen right now at 12 o'clock on Friday. You can listen anytime to the podcast. Thank you to our benefactors, to the radio stations that pick us up. Thank you to those of you who pray for us and who offer your sufferings and your prayers for us. Don't go away and invite your friends and family to join us.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome back to Bible with the Barbers here on this Friday, the 21st of April, the second week, the end of the second week of Easter. Um, we are an Alleluia people. Uh, we are Easter people. We are an Easter people. Alleluia is our song. The Lord is risen. He is truly risen. Alleluia. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Death is not the end of the story. This is why we can offer our sufferings up and our sufferings have meaning. Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering. He came to fill it with his presence. And by doing so, he made it possible for us in our sufferings to offer everything in union with him. By the way, we can also offer our joys and our victories and our, and our glories in union with Jesus to help redeem the world. We offer our entire lives in union with him. So thank you for joining us. Please share this with your family and friends. Download the free app on your smartphone and share that link with all your family and friends, all your contacts on your phone. Invite them to join us and to listen. And please spread the word about Bible with the Barbers. That's the way, you know, word of mouth. This is how we get the word out. We, we need people to, who listen to please share the news about this um, Virgin Most Powerful Radio and about this Bible study on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So thank you for joining us and thank you to our benefactors and those who support us financially and with their sufferings and their prayers and their joys, all of those who pray for us and um, for all the radio stations that pick us up. <clears throat> there's a lot of little ones too that, that, that pick up our signal. They may not be able to play all of our shows, but they can let their, their listeners know that the listeners can get the app and then they can listen on their phones too to the other shows because there's more than, more than just the Terry and Jesse show, more than just Jesus 911, more than uh, Practical Apologetics, more than the Bishop Strickland Hour or um, Matthew Arnold, uh, um, um, Gary, Matthew Arnold has a show and I'm, the name of it's escaping me at the moment. But, uh, and then we have No Nonsense Catholic. That's it. No Nonsense Catholic by Matthew Arnold. And then we have Night Moves with the Knights of Columbus and, and of course, Bible with the Barbers. So please, please let your friends and family know. Um, some of these are five day a week shows and some of them are just one day a week, but you can listen to them on the app at any time. And the way that the word gets out about this station is word of mouth. So please, you know, go on your phones today and share the app. If you have the app, share the app with your friends and family. If you don't have it, go to the app store and download it. It's a free app. So we're talking about <clears throat> born again. And we're talking about Jesus, chapter three, his um, dialogue with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him by night and he, you know, first he compliments Jesus. You know, we know that you're from God because nobody can do these signs and wonders. And right away, Jesus goes into this dialogue about um, unless you're born anew, born from above, which also can mean born again, but born from above. And Jesus is trying to bring Nicodemus to a higher plane, above the fleshly plane. He's trying to raise him up to understand that there's a spiritual world and that we have to be born from above. And um, we want to, we're explaining why this verse, there's several, Scott Honaker's message, there's there's several things that um, lead us to understand that this verse refers to baptism. And we talked about the first one in the last section of the show, uh, the close link between water and spirit in John's writings. And, um, and now we're going to talk about an, the second reason. Immediately following this episode, and I did read that to you, in verses 22 and, um, of this same gospel, same chapter of this gospel, Jesus and his apostles are baptizing, okay? 
So they're baptizing in Judea. So Jesus talks about being born from above, and then he and his apostles are baptizing. Connection. Okay, the two things are connected. And then we have three. We have other New Testament passages that describe baptism as a sacrament of salvation through the Spirit. Acts 2.38, 1 Corinthians 6.11, Titus 3.5, 1 Peter 3.21. So in Acts of the Apostles, 2.38, and it's interesting when the Acts, when when, um, Peter preaches, Remember the first converts, he tells them that Jesus was the, the Messiah. This is on Pentecost. He's telling them the Messiah and that, you know, that um, he was crucified. And the people are like, well, what are we supposed to do? And what does Peter say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When he says baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, he's saying baptized in the formula that Jesus gave his apostles. Remember at the end of the gospel, Jesus says, go therefore and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and tell them, teach them everything that I have taught you and to observe all that I have commanded you. So now Peter is saying in order to be saved, you repent, you're baptized, you have, and the baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that in baptism, you receive the Holy Spirit. So there's this close connection here between baptism and the reception of the Holy Spirit. There's also 1 Corinthians 6, 11 and Titus 3, 5 and 1 Peter 3, 21. <clears throat> and I might have 1 Corinthians marked out here. Um, I might be able to find that for you real quick here. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Yeah, that's not too far from where I am in Corinthians. So here, 1 Corinthians 6.11. And what does it say in 1 Corinthians 6.11? It says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were washed. You were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Okay, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about... um, the lawlessness of unbelievers that that unbelievers is you know do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor homosexuals nor thieves nor greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of heaven and that's the way you used to be when you were pagans before you came to know the lord jesus and repented of your sins but you were washed washed how in baptism, when we baptized you, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So when you were baptized, your sins were washed away, and you received the Holy Spirit, and this is what justified you. So there's this close connection here. Um, And so you can look up Titus 3, 5, and then 1 Peter 3, 21. So it's interesting because In the Old Testament, you have the Lord pouring out his spirit from above in the Messianic age. So in the Old Testament, it talks about the Messianic age and what's going to happen. The pouring out of the spirit. Isaiah 3, no, excuse me, Isaiah 32, 15. 
Isaiah 32, 15 talks about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Messianic age. Ezekiel 39, 29, Joel 20, Joel 2, Joel 2, 28 through 29. And in the Acts of the Apostles, remember, when when the people on Pentecost hear Peter and the Apostles speaking, right? Um, in in different languages. Everybody hears them in their own language, and they're like, oh, these men have been drinking too much too much new wine. And what does Peter say? These men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Yes, and on my men men servants and my maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord comes this great and manifest day. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that's, Peter quotes that prophecy from Joel about the Lord pouring out his spirit. So Nicodemus knew these prophecies from because he's a Pharisee. Now, he's not a Sadducee. The Sadducees didn't accept the prophets and the writings. He, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible. But the Pharisees did. And so he's familiar with these prophecies. And so he should have known um, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> And it's depicted as water being poured out on the Israelites to wash away their iniquities and renew their hearts. hearts. Isaiah 44, 3 and Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26. So those hopes should have prepared Nicodemus to understand what Jesus was getting at. Because he says the word could mean born again, but it also could mean born from above. The outpouring of the spirit. And Jesus goes on to say, now, he's going to go on to talk more, okay? So we're talking about the connection between baptism here and that how we know that Jesus here is speaking when he speaks of being born of water and the Spirit. He's speaking of baptism. He had commanded his apostles to baptize. And in this chapter of the gospel, he's baptizing with his apostles. He's showing them what he means by baptizing, okay? So even before his crucifixion, he's already teaching them how to properly baptize people. Because you have the baptism of John the Baptist where people are baptism for repentance, right? But you don't have a baptism of remission of sins until Jesus establishes the sacrament of baptism and gives it to the church. So <clears throat> the Council of Trent declared in 1547 that John 3, 5 refers to baptism. Now remember, the church is established by Jesus Christ and he only established one church. And the church is the interpreter of scripture. We would not have a Bible except that the bishops of the Catholic church got together in the, what do you call that, 395 um, and the early, the early, that would be the late, this is terrible, fourth century and early fifth century and defined the canon of scripture. Now, the canon of Scripture wasn't codified until the Council of Trent, but it only became codified at the Council of Trent because certain of the Protestant reformers were rejecting books of the Bible that had been accepted already by the church for over a thousand years. 
And now they were saying, no, 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 we're not going to take this one. We're not going to take that one. And remember Martin Luther, he didn't like the book of James and he changes Romans and, and he doesn't like certain of the apocryphal writings that were already accepted by the church and had been accepted for over a thousand years. And so now the Council of Trent codified that canon of scripture, said, this is it. This was set down. This was declared by the fathers of the church back in, in 395 and 397 and 419, I think it was. I don't remember the exact dates, but in, the, in that area. So already the church had already declared what books were the Bible, but it had never set it in stone. And the church doesn't want to set every doctrine in stone until she has to. It's like that. I remember once a, a, um, when I was in college, this, I was taking a class and it was supposed to be a class on church history. And every single day that the class opened, it was twice a week. But the priest was attacking the idea of the church defining infallibility when it did. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, and, and within a couple of weeks, I was losing my faith and I didn't know why. And so I made, I prayed, oh, I have to finish this story on the other side of the break. Oh my goodness, don't go away. Invite your friends and family. You want to hear this story. So we're, we're here with Bible with the Barbers. Um, Terry's not with me in studio today, but um, we'll be back together in studio soon. Uh, thank you for listening. Please, please download the app, share it with your family and friends. And um, let other people know there's a Bible study. Invite them to join us. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, April the 21st. And Terry's not in studio with me today, but hopefully soon we'll be back in studio together. Um, So here we are, we're talking about being born again and what Jesus says in John 3 to Nicodemus. And we're talking about the reality of the connection between baptism and this these statements of Jesus in John 3 and, and how we know it's connected. And we've talked a lot about that. We've covered a lot of material already. But I was telling you a story about when and how the church defines things and why. We, we, Jesus set up his church. He only set up one church. And so some people think that, well, you know, the, the Catholics, some, some Protestants claim the Catholics added books to the Bible at the Council of Trent because the Council of Trent codified the canon of Scripture. No, the Catholics didn't add. As a matter of fact, it was the bishops of the Catholic Church in 394, uh, it's the Councils of Carthage and Hippo, and then I, I think there's, um, I can't remember now exactly, but it's, there was 394, 397, and 419 or 420. And, and the church actually, for, from that time until the time of, of the Protestant Reformation, had already had the canon of Scripture. And all the books that the Protestants tried to reject at the time of the Protestant revolt from the Catholic Church had been accepted by all Christians. There was only one Bible. And so the church had to codify it at the Council of Trent. And I had a, a dramatic example of this when in my own personal life, when I was in college, when we had a priest attacking the idea of infallibility and the church defining infallibility when she did, because the definition of infallibility, the official uh, codified definition of it began at, at the work of Vatican I, but that was interrupted and it was finished at Vatican II. So it's like, well, oh, okay, so 1900 years after the church is established, so the church is, so the church is just making this up. no. The church only defines things when it becomes necessary to define them. So it had always been believed and accepted. 
So the church doesn't have to define it because everybody believes it and accepts it. So it's only when it becomes challenged. So this priest, and I, I was... I was sure I was losing my faith. I was becoming so cynical and re- and I knew this, that my whole interior attitude and disposition was changing and I knew it wasn't godly. And I went before our Lord in the, in the, in the blessed sacrament and I looked up at the crucifix. I'm like, Lord, it was your blood that was shed and, and you're losing me. And I don't even know why I don't know what, you know, it's not, it's, I don't know. I'm not conscious of having committed a sin that separated me from you. And, and, but, but I'm losing my faith. I'm losing my whole, desire to to want to to believe and and live a godly life and so i prayed and then i was walking back from class a couple nights later with another priest who was a believing jesuit and um his name is father joseph fessio and i made a really snide remark about the church defining infallibility when she did i don't remember exactly what i said it just came out of the the just the muck of cynicism and 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 um uh whatever was inside of me. And all father said was, oh yes, Danelle. And Jesus Christ was not divine until the fourth century. I kid you not. At that instant, the light came back on. It wasn't defined by the church that Jesus Christ is truly God. It wasn't codified and set in doctrinal stone until the fourth century. Why? because of the Arian heresy. Before that, everyone believed that Jesus Christ was God. Everyone who was, I mean, the the church held that. But the Arian heresy had actually affected to the church to the point of 70% of the bishops were Arian, possibly as much as 70% of the bishops were Arian. They were accepting that, well, Jesus wasn't really God incarnate. And the church said, whoa, 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 whoa. What have we always believed? Now we have to define it and codify it. So with infallibility, it had always been believed and it wasn't until the Protestant Reformation and the, the, the rebellion against the church. And then it actually took a few hundred years after that when the church recognized and realized that, you know, the, this Protestant teaching isn't going away and it's actually infecting people in the Catholic church and they don't understand anymore what infallibility is and how it works. And so it became necessary for the church to define it. And so when the church defines something, she only does so because historically speaking, it becomes necessary when she, that's why, you know, oh yeah, the church has never solemnly declared and defined what every single verse of scripture means. You're right. And she probably never will because it's not necessary, but there are certain ones that's like, this is what this refers to. And the church has said that this John three does refer to baptism. And as I pointed out already, we see that, that it's water and the spirit are connected in the writings of John and that elsewhere in the in the New Testament, you have this, um, you know, you have Jesus and his apostles baptizing, and then you have the, the baptism being described as a sacrament of salvation. Wherever the gospel was preached, the apostles didn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus and accept him into your heart as your Lord and Savior, as important as that is, because we have to make this personal. They said, be baptized and repent of your sins. Be baptized for the remission of sins. So we renounce our sin if we're adults and we're we, for remission of sin. Baptism really remits sin. So we have this teaching and we have this teaching from the Lord and, um, and from his church. And we know that he founded only one church. So, um, so John 3, 5 refers to baptism. 
It was said that the water is no mere metaphor, but a visible sign of the Spirit's invisible work in the sacraments. So again, that was the Council of Trent defining that, that the water is actually a visible sign. The sacraments are a visible outward sign of an inward grace. Okay, this is what we believe. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 694, it says this about water. The symbolism of water signifies the Holy Spirit's action in baptism, since after the invocation of the Holy Spirit, it becomes the efficacious sacramental sign of new birth. New birth, born anew, born from above. Just as the gestation of our first birth took place in water, we were in water in our mother's womb, so the water of baptism truly signifies that our birth into the divine life is given to us in the Holy Spirit. Water and the Holy Spirit go together in the scriptures. As by one spirit we were all baptized, so we are also made to drink of the one spirit. Quoting from 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. Thus the spirit is also personally the living water welling up from Christ crucified. Remember the living water in John 19:34 and in 1 John 5:8, the living water. And the living water Jesus speaks about that will well up as its source and welling up in us to eternal life. Compare John 4:10 through 14, John 7:38. And then again, you have Old Testament references, too, to the water. Exodus 17, 1 through 6, Isaiah 55, 1, Zechariah 14, 8, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, Revelation 21, 6, and 22, 17. By the way, that's the footnote in the catechism. Just, in, you know, remember, Father, uh, our pastor here is, is a, is a, is a um, former uh, Calvary Chapel um, minister, former Presbyterian minister, and now for, and a former Anglican, and now he's a Roman Catholic priest. And he said even as a Protestant, he was using the catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons because it's so rooted in the scriptures. It gave such beautiful explanations of the scriptures, so deep and so meaningful, and gave so much more life to the scriptures. So read the catechism and, and read it with the scriptures and, and go ahead and look up those references. So here we have Nicodemus, and he's not quite getting it, but Jesus is going to hang in there with him. And in verse um, 6, you have what? You have um, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So Jesus makes a contrast here. Flesh represents all that is natural, our natural life here on earth. Not that it's evil, but that it's natural, okay? And human. While spirit signifies all that is supernatural, heavenly, and divine. The, distinct, the distance once separating these realms has been bridged by Jesus Christ, whose flesh is an instrument that conveys the life of the Spirit of God to the world. And, you know, John 5, 21 John 6, 51 through 53. So 521, we have Jesus saying, For as the Father's, Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. And of course, in John 6, um, 51 through 53, Jesus speaks of himself in John 6 as the bread of life. And he says, 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And again, I'm not here to to address John 6 today, but we're talking about the connection between the flesh and the spirit, that Jesus Christ, that the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity who became man, in his human flesh, he bridges the gap between heaven and earth. The recapitulation of all things in Christ. Christ brings all things back to the Father in his own human flesh. He really took to himself a human flesh. He really, the second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man. Truly became man. He was truly man, not a human person, a divine person who has a human nature. And so he brings us back to the Father and he bridges this gap and he makes it possible for us now to share in divine life. We become partakers of the divine life through Jesus Christ because he became partakers of our human life. He became a partaker in our human life. He took to himself a human nature and he really lived a human life here on this earth. A life united to God. Specifically, the second person of the Blessed Trinity was incarnate. He took on human flesh and he lived among us. And of his fullness we have all received, grace for grace. That music just comes too fast. I must be having a great time because time flies. (laughs) So don't go away. Please get other people to listen. Invite them. If you can't listen right now, remember you can listen to the podcast. Get the app. And you can listen to the shows at any time. Tell everybody out there. Be right back with more Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 21st of April. Please do share that with all your friends, family, church members, um, even Protestant friends, uh, neighbors, co-workers, uh, the app. For Virgin Most Powerful Radio, you can share it with all the contacts in your phone. Um, also tell them we do have a Bible study. You don't have to listen to it at Friday on, on Friday at noon. That's when we live record it. But you can listen at any time if you get the app. So please do let people know, okay? Share this with people. And I do thank all of our listeners and all of those who, that we have radio stations that do pick up our signal. And I want to thank all those stations that do. I, I know maybe they don't pick up the signal for this show, but they pick up the signal for other shows. So uh, there are a lot of little radio stations. They're not major ones maybe, but you know what? Thank you. And, and every, every part that we do to spread the gospel helps. We each have to do our own little part, and we don't have to do somebody else's part. We just have to do ours. So we're talking about John 3 and being born again, and we have shown how John 3 is connected with baptism, and this is how the church has seen it. This is how the church talks about this, and it's, it's evident also from the textual um, references. that it, it, And sometimes we can ignore textual you know, references, and when things are obvious, um, uh, our, our, my husband's nephew, Michael Barber, when he was studying uh, at Azusa Pacific College, and he was studying... Um, Greek and he was in the Greek class and they were translating John 6 
And so um, they come up, came up with the translation that, you know, um, you know, this is my flesh and this is my blood and, and you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't, you won't have life in you. And of course, Michael was the only Catholic in his class. And so the other students in the class were saying, no, no, it can't mean that. This is just a symbolic saying, blah, blah, blah. And so they were having this discussion and finally the, the professor noticed there was almost an argument ensuing. So he came back and he said, what's going on? So they explained, you know, well, Michael Barber is saying that this Jesus means this literally, but how could he? I mean, we, we Protestants don't believe that. And the professor said, well, actually, no, the Greek, yeah, it's literal. It's quite literal. He means you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. But yeah, as we as Protestants don't accept that. So, so it's like, oh, Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes we do this in our life. It's like, um, yeah, so God reveals himself as a trinity of persons. But, you know, I'm more comfortable with God just being the creator and kind of removed from everything. And he's a little bit distant, you know. So I don't want to accept that the second person of the blessed trinity became man because that makes me uncomfortable. Well, then am I worshiping God or am I worshiping my idea of God? When we read the scriptures, we really need to beg the Holy Spirit to help us put aside our preconceived notions and our own prejudices and say, Lord, help us to see the truth that you're revealing here. So this verse is definitely connected with water and the spirit. The water and the spirit go together. And now Jesus goes on after verse six, and he says, um, you know, to, to Nicodemus, he's, he's told him, um, you must be born anew. And then he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said. You must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how can this be? Okay, so everyone who's born of the spirit, we have this, the wind blows or the spirit blows. Um, actually, in in the, the, the Greek word means wind and spirit. So when it says the wind, it could mean the spirit. So the, the spirit blows where he wills. And by capitalizing on the double meaning of this expression, Jesus reasons that if the direction and destiny of the wind is mysterious, how much more mysterious is the mission of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers? So the mission of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us and to unite us with God. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 691, it says, the Holy Spirit is the proper name of the one who we adore and glorify with the Father and the Son, the third person of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church has received the name from the Lord and professes it in the baptism of her children. Okay, see Matthew 28, 19. The term spirit translates the Hebrew word ruach, which in its primary sense means breath, air, wind. Jesus indeed uses the sensory image of the wind to suggest to Nicodemus the transcendent newness of him who is personally God's breath. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God, the ruach. The Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis. He hovers over the waters. On the other hand, Spirit and Holy are divine attributes common to the three divine persons. But by joining the two terms, Scripture, liturgy, and theological language designate the inexpressible person of the Holy Spirit. 
So God is all holy. God is spirit. But to say Holy Spirit is to designate the third person of the Blessed Trinity without any possible equivocation with the other uses of the term spirit and holy. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Blessed Trinity, and he has this mission to sanctify us. And at the Last Supper, Jesus said, I must go because if I do not go, the Spirit will not come. The Spirit comes to complete the mission of Jesus. Jesus comes to reconcile everything to the Father in himself, to recapitulate all things to the Father in himself. And then the Holy Spirit comes to complete this mission. And it's not like Jesus is gone and he doesn't have a mission anymore. No, Jesus is still present among us. And particularly, he's present in the Holy Eucharist and in the sacraments. But the Holy Spirit also is given to us. We receive divine life through the sacraments. And this is, yes, it's a great mystery. Men didn't think it up. God did. And and the early Members of the church, the early fathers of the church, had to come to understand what God was revealing. It's not about what man understands. It's about what is God revealing. Are we going to submit ourselves to the revelation that God gives us? Or are we going to say, no, I, you know, I, I, I understand it this way and that's it. I, I don't want to, you know. And like that professor in, in the Greek class who said, well, no, actually it does mean literally you have to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. That's the literal translation of the Greek. And it's not symbolic. It's meant quite literally. And Jesus let some of his, some of his disciples walk away at, at, at John 6 and not, he didn't correct them because they understood it literally. But is it makes me uncomfortable to understand it literally. Well, Jesus, help me to be comfortable with what you want to give, with your love, with the presence of your Holy Spirit in me. Lord, help me to give up my sins so I can be comfortable with you. You know, it's sin. It's sin that destroys Easter joy. It's sin that divides mankind. You know, it's not, it's not, the, it's not race. It's not color. It's, not, it's sin. It's our selfishness, our wanting to make sure that everything is done the way I want to do it aren't wanting to, to not be willing to share and to help. Sin divides us. It divides us from ourselves and it divides us from God. It divides us from each other. It divides us within ourselves. You know? So Jesus goes on with Nicodemus so that, um, you know, he's like, well, you're a teacher of Israel. If I talk to you about things that, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you about the wind and, and this is just... How are you gonna how are you gonna accept it when I start talking to you about heavenly things? When I talk to you of the things of the earth and you don't understand, how are you gonna understand about heavenly things? And again, how are we gonna understand? We need to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. You know, faith is a gift. Lord, I believe in you. Increase my faith. Hope is a gift. My God, I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust in you, strengthen my trust. Charity is a gift. My God, I love you. Let me love you more and more. And as St. Therese of Lisieux said, my God, lend me your love with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve. Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor, that I may love my neighbor as I have been commanded to love him. You said, love one another as I have loved you. I need your heart, Jesus. Please lend it to me. So the only one who has gone up to heaven is the son of man who descended from heaven. So, whoa, yeah, Jesus, not Jesus, not the human nature, but the second person of the Blessed Trinity was in, is in heaven 
with God for all eternity. And he was there in heaven with God even when he became man because he's God. But he took to himself at a specific point in time a human nature and a human, a human body and a human soul. And he united that to the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And he really lived on this earth and he really did tell us that we need to be born again. So here's the deal. Are Catholic Christians born again? Yes, as a matter of fact, anyone who's been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit by having water poured on you or sprinkled on you has been born again. We've been born into a new life, a life of union with God where God comes to dwell in us. It's, it is awesome. It's incredible. God loves us so much. He wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell within us. He wants to make each one of us individually his temple. We have become a dwelling place for God in the spirit. In one of Paul's letters, or maybe it was Peter, but so. So we, we have this being born again, all right? And we are born again. But we're born again because we were baptized. We were baptized by water and when we were baptized by water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now dwells in us and he sanctifies us and he draws us into union with God. So we have to go for the fuller meaning of scripture. Let's not just leave it on the surface. Let's go for the deeper meaning. Let's try to fully understand what the scriptures mean, what Jesus is saying. Just like in John 6, when we come up against something, you know, Scott Hahn, when he was become, when he was still a Protestant minister and he had decided that he was going to preach through the gospel of John and he was preaching a 45-minute sermon, he was spending 40 hours a week to prepare his sermons. And when he started to, when he, got, when he was going through the gospel of John and he's preaching on all this stuff, and so yeah, chapter three, that's baptism. And he gets to John 6 and you know what? He wouldn't preach on John 6. Because as he studied, he realized the early church understood John 6 to refer to the Eucharist. Now that's a topic for another day, John 6. But let's not ignore what makes us uncomfortable. Let's go to the Lord in humble prayer. Unless you become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's humble ourselves, become like little children. Thank God for the gift of baptism, whereby we became children of God. And the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing this show with others and for sharing Virgin Most Powerful Radio with others. Thank you to our benefactors, for those who offer their sufferings and prayers for us. Thank you to the, all the stations who pick us up and all the social media platforms that pick us up. And please, please share with everybody that there is a Catholic radio station out there, internet radio station, that we all want you to be familiar with Virgin Most Powerful Radio and all of its shows. And you don't have to listen to them as they are live broadcast. Download the app. Down, uh, go to the computer, look at us online, on Facebook, on Rumble, and, sh and join us in, in Virgin Most Powerful Radio that we all may grow in our faith day by day. Thank you. <laughs>